I think I'm on. Yes, I am. How you doing, church? How you doing? How you doing? How you doing? Come on. I know it. I, I was like, it's daylight savings. And I'm saying to Chuck, is it fall ahead, spring back? What is, what? where are we? <laughs> right? And I'm like, oh, we gained an hour. Yes. Okay. I'm using Chuck's iPad today. Okay. Oh, my. Wow. God is good. He is good. He is good. He is faithful. He is faithful. He is faithful. He is faithful. Come on. We got props today. I am, I am so honored. I, I have to tell you, listen, every time I get a chance to share the word of God, I do not take it lightly. I do not take um, the revelation, the truth, the essence of his word lightly because it has the power to change us and rearrange us and heal us and deliver us and set us free. So when I, when I get asked, you know, it's kind of funny. These are pastors. I love them. And they'll ask me. And I just, I'm like, God, I can't say no. Um, there's something about your word that I'm like, yeah, let's go after it. Let's get into it. Let's see what it's saying for our lives today. And so Pastor Kevin uh, messaged and, you know, asked me if I wouldn't mind sharing uh, the word. And I said, I just asked the Lord first. And I said, Lord, you know my fire, but what are you saying? And I felt him say, go for it. So here I am today to share with you his word. I honor our leadership team. Um, I am, we are blessed to be in such an amazing house um, my armor bearers, I'm a little short today, um, to, to our home, not well, but one said, mama, you can't go alone, like, I, I'm coming, I'm gonna come with you, and I said, okay, good, we'll be good, I had a dream last night, was with one of my siblings and my stepdad, and we were trapped in, like, a bear was coming after us, it was kind of an interesting dream, and then all of a sudden, my husband shows up, like, this strong guy, and this bear became so small, and he rips it in half. And I got up and I thought, well, thank you, Jesus. He's, he may not be here in the building. <laughs> oh, boy. But he's carrying the armor today. So even though he is um, just resting and taking some time, I actually want to pray for once because I know there's been ah, flu going around. And so, Father, we thank you for your healing power. We thank you for your healing virtue, God. Father, we declare that healing is the children's bread. It is our inheritance. And for every member of this family that is not well today, God, we declare your power, your resurrection life over their body, making them whole and well from the youngest to the oldest. In Jesus' name, we rebuke sickness and we say no and we thank you, God, that you are raising them up and strengthening them in that strengthening in them. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for your word, God. Let your word go forth in power tonight today. This week I was thinking about process. 
think it was last week, Pastor Kevin said that word. And it, had, it took me on a bit of a, just a thought process. <laughs> and I started to think about Chuck and I singing together. 20, it's actually probably more like 24 years of singing together from weddings to barns to <laughs> beaches to <laughs> anywhere we can sing. We've been singing together. Um, what you get to experience took time. It took a process. It took humility and sometimes tears. I remember the first time we were interviewing for a worship pastor position, and oh my gosh, we, they invited us to come and be with the team, and we went, and Chuck and I are both strong, I mean, we both have colleagues, and we're both strong, and you know, back then, we, it was like, you know, it was, it was fiery, right? We hadn't learned to temper it, we were one year married, and I remember just like, we're literally fighting as we're in this worship practice, interviewing for this position, and I'm thinking, what are we doing? But it took some time to get to what you see up here. The ebb and flow, I mean, the beauty of it is that we're married, and so there's, you know, there is that consistency of working things out and getting things, you know, going through those hard things and talking about those hard things, but what you get to partake in didn't happen overnight. What you see time after time is a process that we had to go through. Sometimes we want the outcome without going through the process. And I'm learning that there's a part of that that actually is anti-kingdom culture called entitlement. I'm learning that, you know, when you hear the testimony of Bill, to be in a place of grief and process and loss, but to go in spite of, I'm going to dig deep and glorify the one who is, who was, and is to come, that is process. That is saying, I am not entitled. There's something about the season that we are in. And I believe, even in a prophetic moment, of training an army to advance, we have to start thinking different. We, we can't actually think we deserve now hear me, because God is good and he wants to bless us. But there has to be a point of a positioning where we understand that the promise actually takes time. That there is a process. And no matter whether the circumstances are good, bad, or indifferent, we're actually not entitled. We have to submit to the process. I was thinking about everything in life, like everything from washing the dishes to like cutting up a chicken. Like there's a process to the, the way this, ourselves, I know, this is where my mind goes, dishes and kitchen and cooking. But 
the way this, our cells reproduce and multiply, there is a process. There is a start, there is a middle, and there is an outcome. There is a process. So John 15, I started thinking about the vine, and I, so we'll just read it. John 15 says, I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. There is a process. And Jesus is saying, we're on the vine. He's the vine dresser. And there are things in the pruning and the growing and the preparation. There are things that happen on that vine that is a natural progression to the outcome. So I am not a, I'm not a big, like, I'm not a wine drinker. I'm not a wine connoisseur. I'm not a, like, I mean, (laughs) wine is wine. I don't really know much. So what do you do when you don't know much about something? You Google it. (laughs) So I was intrigued. I'm like, okay, so Jesus is, he's talking about the vine. He's talking, you know, he's talked about new wine. There's scriptures that talk about new wine, okay. So I was intrigued, how, how, what's the process of this whole grape thing? What, what happens? So you've got the harvesting. I mean, of course, you've got the planting, you've got the growing, right? Then the grapes are harvested. They are sent to be pressed or crushed. Then there is a fermentation stage, an aging stage, and then a bottling stage. Genesis 37 we find the story of a boy who's about 17 years old. His name is Joseph. And we get to see the beginning, the middle, and the outcome of his life. He has a prophetic picture of something that seems so outrageous. He shares it, and his brothers get very jealous. They were already jealous of him because his father really favored him. And the story goes on to say that he was sold for 20 shekels, which was back in the day about $200 in our time, in our money. Have you ever been moved by force or choice? The comfortable place where Joseph was, he gets moved and put into a different surrounding. Genesis 39, 2 says, The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered. He lived in the house of his, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. As we read this story, we see in verse 6 where Joseph is actually falsely accused. And it's a very interesting thing that happens. I'm going to read it. It's a little long. I might skip, but I just, I want to, I want you to get the essence of it. 
So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Now Joseph was well-built and handsome, and after a while his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, Come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, My master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in his house than I. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. One day he went into the house to attend his duties and none of the household servants was inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak and he, in her hand and ran out of the house. And when she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and had run out of the house, she called her household servants. Look, she said to them, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make a sport of me. He came here to sleep with me, but I screamed. And when he heard this, me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. She kept the cloak beside her until his master came home. Then she told him this story, that the Hebrew slave you brought us came to me to make a sport of me, but as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. When the master heard the, his story, his wife's story, saying, this is how your slave has treated me, he burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in a prison, the place where king's prisoners were confined. What is going on? Sometimes in life we think, you know, we've gone through one trial. It's coming back to that entitlement. And we go, God, okay, I made it through. It was painful, but I got, got through. And then something else happens. Life happens again. And it's hard. And it cuts deep. And you're going, what is going on? Was not betrayal from my family enough? Was not rejection from my family enough? That I have to now come into and be a slave and now be falsely accused? But can I say to you, church, that God is not looking for a people that will question when life gets hard. He's looking for a people that will say, God, whatever, whatever happens, I will keep my eyes on you. I may not understand the betrayal. I may not understand the rejection. I may, I may even have questions of like, God, why? But... I choose to keep my eyes on you. The enemy's assignment isn't to have you to sin. The enemy's assignment is to get you to miss out on your calling and your destiny. I'm going to say that again. The enemy's assignment isn't to get us to sin. 
The enemy's assignment is to get us to miss out on our calling and our destiny. And what happens in life when hard things hit and we don't understand, if we do not choose to go, God, in spite of, I will trust you. In spite of, I will lift my eyes onto the hills. For whence cometh my help? We will miss out on our destinies and our callings. That's what's at stake. Because the pressing is actually not about him. (laughs) The pressing is about us. Because he knows us. He knows our capacity. He knows the step that we need to take to step into our destiny. I found it so interesting in these these verses twice. It says, in verse 21, it says, The Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the first one was when he was with his master in the house. It says the Lord was with him in the house. Can I ask you, is God with you? Is God with you? He's with you. Is it my words? It says, Deuteronomy 31 says, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them, for the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Sometimes we find ourselves in situations that feel like a prison. But God is saying today, I am not leaving you. I will never leave you and I am not a man that I should lie. When I say something, I mean it. My word does not return void. It will accomplish what I have sent it to do. So he is with you. The grapes go into the cr- this crush state, and then they get taken into actually like a dark place to fer- ferment, to age, to mature. So here we find Joseph. He's moved from the house. <laughs> he's moved from he's moved from being a slave to being a prisoner. It's like man, this story is getting really really dark fast. It can feel like a forgotten place. It can feel like, how, how did I get here and how am I going to get out of here? But can I say to you, can I remind you this morning, your hiddenness isn't rejection. It's transformation. Your hiddenness, if you feel hidden, if you feel like, God, man, this feels, feels like a dark place, God. It's, it's a bit uncomfortable. Your hiddenness 
is not his rejection. It is his transformation. There is something he is doing that requires that, that kind of atmosphere, that kind of surrounding to bring out of you what he's wanting to bring out of you. I love this about Joseph. I just I find this story very intriguing. So in chapter 40, Joseph is fully involved in prison ministry. Like, he just is like, well, I'm here. And I'm, I'm going to make the most of it. It says, it says that he, he does find favor with the warden. It says, yes, it does, yeah. He finds favor. And because of that, he's, he's even in the prison He's given leadership. And Joseph says, I'm going to serve. <laughs> I'm going to serve. Listen, when entitlement comes knocking, you start to say, you, you stay there. I'm going to serve. I'm going to humble myself and I'm going to serve. It, even if I feel confined, even if I feel like this is really uncomfortable, this is, I don't really like this season, but I'm not going to stay in a place of entitlement. I'm going to serve. I'm going to give the little I know to give. I'm going to do what I know I can do, and I'm going to show up and serve. Joseph did, did not find a corner in the prison and cry. He might have. At times, he might have. But that's not what, what the story tell, that's not what the story is majoring on. The story is majoring on he had he found favor and he started to serve. So the story goes on to say there are two men that get thrown into the prison. The cup uh, official cupbearer and the chief, chief cupbearer and the chief baker, they're thrown into the prison because they've offended Pharaoh or something. And Joseph is actually assigned to attend to them. He's actually assigned to serve them. And it says some time had passed and the men had dreams. And Joseph noticed that they were looking very troubled that they were uneasy. And so he asked, why are you sad? And so they tell Joseph their dreams. And Joseph makes a statement. I didn't write it down, but hmm, he, he says, I'm going to paraphrase. He says, isn't God the one that interprets dreams? Because they, say, they say, say, well, there's nobody in here to interpret our dreams. That's why they were sad. There's nobody in here to interpret our dreams. And Joseph said, but isn't God the one that interprets dreams? <laughs> isn't God the one that restores dreams? And so he, he gives them the interpretation as he inquires of the Lord. And Joseph, at the end of the interpretation, he says to the one which is the chief cupbearer, he says, when all goes well with you, remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. Two years go by. 
and Pharaoh now has a dream. And that cupbearer remembers, oh, nobody can interpret the dream. They're looking for somebody. Nobody can interpret the dream. And the cupbearer goes, oh, there was a man in prison. He interprets dreams. He hears from God. Let's go. Let's find him. I brought this painting today. This is one of Czech's paintings. And uh, Mercy would have been, this painting is probably about 12 years old now. And Czech had gone to, gone on a missions trip, uh, worship, they had taken a worship team to Thailand. And in the middle of um, them leading worship, they got to go into Bangkok. And he was with two missionaries, and as they were walking through the city streets, the, the lady says, I love scaffolding. And she's like, to many people, scaffolding is like messy, inconvenient, dusty, like just what is scaffolding? And she said to him, she said, scaffolding means something is coming. Something is being built and the architects are at work and the city is going to look beautiful. Something is happening. And so she just found it so exciting. Well, as soon as she said that, Chuck saw a picture. And he came home and he painted this. And he called me and he said, Rianne, what do you think about this picture? And I said, well, you know, sometimes when you're painting a picture, you will sometimes feel like it's not finished. And so I said to him, I, he's saying to me, I feel like I need to do something, but I'm not sure what to do. And I said, well, okay, well, we both know. Let's hang it, leave it, walk away, and then, you know, then you can go back to it. And so we did. He hung it, and we left it, and we just, you know, we actually forgot. He actually forgot about it. It had been hanging, and we were in our living room, uh, chatting with one of our friends and talking about process and talking about life and, you know, things that happen that you don't expect and you don't even sometimes see them coming, but they, they happen and now you have to go through it. Now you have to navigate through it. We were in a season where we were in full-time ministry and now we're heading back to school and to the marketplace and it was a big transition for us. And all of a sudden, we're sharing this testimony, and we realize, oh, my. <laughs> we look up at this painting, and we go, oh, wow. We just, he just prophetically painted our season on canvas. But we had to be okay with the fact that we couldn't see what the architect was building. We had to be okay with the mess and the dust of what we felt was our lives. And not understanding how we could be on one road and then all of a sudden now we are on a different road and we know that it's God leading us, but it feels so uncomfortable and unfamiliar. And it is hung in our, I've said to Chuck, you can't sell this one. You can't sell, you can sell all the other ones. You can't sell this one. But it is hung as a reminder to our hearts that when we are in seasons of process, and, and actually, to be honest, we are always in process. 
We are always starting. There's always a middle and there's always an outcome. And when that outcome happens, we always start again on something and there's always a middle and there's always an outcome. So we actually don't escape. And I think when I was thinking about this, I was like, you know, this thing, so brilliant. But it has developed in us this quickness, the access to Google something or look something up, and we get it instantly, just like this. And our brains are like, oh, yeah, we got the answer. But God, that is not kingdom culture. It is not the way that the kingdom works. Things take time. And that's why I think he said, look at the vine. Because a grape doesn't just... It takes time. There is a process of maturing. There's a process of pruning. There is a process of crushing. There is a process of, of aging and fermenting. There's a process. So we pick up in the story, Genesis 41. 37, it says, after Joseph tells Pharaoh the interpretation, which is quite an interesting, that part of it, go and read the story because it's it's actually such a beautiful story. I find with the word of God, you know, it, it doesn't outdate. And sometimes we are afraid to read it because we think, well, God, that didn't happen in the Bible. That doesn't, how is God going to, how is God going to speak to me through that? Well, can I tell you, if you start to read it, you'll actually find some really good treasures in there that actually speak directly to what you're going through. And instead of uh, like the thinking of the world, which we are influenced by, we have now come this alignment with the thinking of the word that leads us into truth. And so Pharaoh says, the plan seemed good to Pharaoh and to all his officials. So Pharaoh asked them, can we find anyone like this man? One in whom the spirit of God, who is the spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, There is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace, and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. How does a slave... (laughs) How does a slave go to being a ruler? not just any ruler, Pharaoh is saying, it is only my throne. He is standing right next to Pharaoh. Only God does that with our lives. Only God does that with our lives. There comes a time when the wine is ready for use where it's ready to be poured out, to be served, where many people can partake. Because of Joseph, 
his 23 years of process, a nation is saved. But the story doesn't end there. It goes on to say, Joseph now has to deal with the family thing. And this is where, for me, when you see people rise above their pain, when you see people rise above the trial, it's because they're not living in the land of entitlement. They have learned the secret. It's a secret, but it's everybody can know it secret. They have learned the secret <laughs> of going, God, wait a minute. It's your hand. If I'm in your hand, then whatever has happened to me, your hand will lead me and guide me through. It's your hand. I believe these are the days where God is sharpening our ability to handle trial and circumstances that want to take us out. I believe these are the days that we are walking in where the church does not cower anymore, where the church isn't easily offended anymore, where the church goes, you know what? That's okay. It's his hand on my life. It's not your hand. It's not your words in his book. It's his words in the book for me. And so Joseph says this to his brothers. He says this. He says, it's long, but uh, Genesis 45, come close. They don't even know who he is, and he recognizes them like this. Isn't that oftentimes with pain or offense? People have forgotten. They don't even know. They, don't, they didn't even know they offended you. And you recognize them like this. And they have moved on with their lives. Joseph recognizes them, and, and they don't know. But, but there's something, something so beautiful about what he says. Where is it? I didn't write it down, but I, or I can't find it. But it says, it's not your hand. He sent me, he sent me ahead of you to save you. He sent me ahead of you to save you. When we start to shift in our thinking about how we view the kingdom, we actually begin to possess the power we actually begin to perceive the greater glory because the thinking shifts from me. It shifts from off of me, 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 me to him, 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 him. I take my orders from him. I listen to him. I obey him. I do what he says, and I understand that everything that happens in my life has to go through him. 
good, bad, or indifferent, painful, hard. I remember the last season. Oh, man, gosh, I thought I was, I was that. I never felt that kind of pain in my life. I'm like, God, what is this? People pain hurts. It does. That's hard for many different reasons because it brings up your stuff that you have to deal with. And then you have to have to deal with laying down their stuff. You have to forgive yourself and you have to move on. But I, rem I remember, I remember going, God, I thank you for this pain because I wouldn't be the person I am today if I didn't go through that trial. I wouldn't love people the way I love them. Even though I loved them before, I have a greater love for them now. I have a greater understanding for people. I have a greater depth of what do I do when somebody hurts me? How do I, how do I push through that? If I hadn't gone through that pain, I wouldn't have been able to now stand with things being plucked out of my heart that didn't belong there getting rid of those old ways and those old thinkings and going, God, I don't want that anymore. I don't need that anymore. That doesn't belong there anymore. The promise is, is that God doesn't just start a work. He finishes a work. Philippians 1 says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it out to the day of completion. He is committed to you for the long haul. And we see, we see Paul's life. Paul knew that the goal of his life was not prominence or popularity. He knew that the goal of his life was to be poured out as provision. 2 Timothy 4.6, poured out like a drink offering. He understood that the essence of my life is to be poured out, to actually be of service. Hmm. The purpose of our life is not to accumulate wealth, to have nice things, to be popular, have a lot of friends. Those things are great. They're great. But that's not the purpose. It's not the, it, the purpose is not to climb a corporate ladder. The purpose is that our lives would be poured out for Jesus. So why is this important? Why is process? Because it's such a it's a it's a it's a it's a word. It's a word that's been used in this season. It's process. Why why is process important? I believe because it keeps us in reality and not fantasy. It keeps us out of a realm of an entitlement and in a realm of humility. And we start to understand the ways of the kingdom are so opposite to the ways of the world. I believe that in this time, as we hone in 
on kingdom culture. What is it? What are the ways of the kingdom? How do we align our thinking to the kingdom? It begins to build a resilience in us that says, who is this giant that defies the armies? It begins to build a resilience in us that says, what is that happening in my city that I'm just going to not do anything about it? It begins to build a resilience because we understand who he is. I want to encourage you today. I say, God, you want me to talk about process? <laughs> yeah. I want you to remind them that's not instant popcorn. I want you to remind them that it's process. And it's okay no matter where you are in the process, but to align yourself with kingdom thinking so that you don't get stuck but you're able to move through and allow your life to bear the fruit. Would you stand with me? Hallelujah. 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 Yeah. Sometimes it's, it's hard for us to almost locate ourselves on the map because we've so many things in between. And so one of the things I heard the Lord say was, have them close their eyes and locate yourself. Where are you in the process? And I'll tell you why it's important. Because sometimes we can live with a persona of who we want to be and not actually be real with ourselves and go, where am I? Where am I? So I, I want you to just take a moment, just close your eyes right now and just ask the Lord, where, where am I, Father, in this process? Whether you're at the beginning, whether you're in the middle, or you're experiencing the outcome, I want you to ask him, what are you saying to me right now? Father, today I thank you, God, for your word. 
that is a lamp onto our feet and a light onto our path. God, I thank you for the army that is arising, that is being diligent to steward kingdom culture and kingdom living. God, we want to be ones that are resilient. We want to be ones that are courageous. We want to be ones that are brave. We want to be ones that hear your voice and are obedient to your voice. We want to be ones that answer the call. We want to be ones that show up to serve. We want to be ones that know how to steward your glory. But God, we understand that in the midst of all of that, we find ourselves in the process, Father, of life. And we are saying to you today, show up in your strength. Show up in your grace. Show up in your kindness. Our resolve will be that in the midst of each stage and each process, we will keep our eyes on you. We will keep our hearts soft towards you. God, whether we find ourselves in the prison season, whether we find ourselves, wherever we find ourselves in the palace season, wherever we find ourselves, isn't God the one? Isn't God the one? You are the one, Jesus. And our eyes are on you today as your church, as your bride. Our eyes are on you today and we recognize that you are getting us ready for something so much more bigger than ourselves. And you're getting us ready to contain the new wine. You're getting us ready, God. You're maturing us to be poured out, to be served. So have your way, God. Have your way, even as this word has been released today. Father, we thank you for this region. We thank you for the cities. We thank you for Fraser Valley. We thank you for your spirit that, has, that is at work in homes and lives. We thank you for souls being saved and set free and delivered and coming home. We call them home. We thank you for prodigals walking through that door and every seat in this place filled. We thank you for your Holy Spirit at work in our region, Lord, that our eyes will see the goodness of God in the land of the living. Not just nice words, but words, God, that hold conviction. Words that hold promise. Because you're faithful and you're able. And we bless you today. In Jesus' name.